Uh, so if you've got your Bibles, please go to Galatians chapter 4, and we're going to read just verses 8 and 9 to start today. Galatians chapter 4, verse 8 and 9. And when you got it, would you just stand to your feet so I know you're ready this morning? All right, and this is what the Word of God says today. Formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not gods. But now that you have come to know God, or rather be known by God, how can you turn back, turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world, whose slaves you want to be once more? Heavenly Father, we come to you today in your word, asking that you would just add your blessing and anointing. God, anoint our ears to hear and our hearts to receive. Let it be a transforming word for us today. God, let it bless the hearers and let us leave here differently than what we came in. In your name we pray. Amen and amen. You may be seated. So as we've kind of journeyed through this letter uh, over the past couple of weeks, minus last week, uh, we've really uncovered a lot of different themes uh, throughout Galatians. And it's, it's fun to, to read the Bible, amen? I wish, I wish more people would look at it in that way of it's, it's something that is so relatable. It's something that is so relevant. And it's crazy to me that how, how a documentation written a couple thousand years ago is still relevant to us today. It's interesting to uncover that although uh, times change, technology changes, um, societies change, the reality of it is, is people and the stuff that people do and the stuff that people deal with has remained the same over thousands of years. It's almost like God knew something when he inspired these men to write these words down on these pages. It's like he knew that for the next thousands of years until he comes back on his cloud of glory and takes us back home to heaven, that he knew that we would need this information all the way through humanity's time. Amen. And so when we dive into this next section here, we're talking about this idea of being free. And uh, I, I, find, I find a lot of times, you know, like we just read in this scripture, he's, he's really questioning them. Uh, how, like, how is it even possible that you turned back to what you came away from? Like, what's going on with you that you were enticed to go back into your old ways? Now, uh, he's really talking about religious ceremonies and things and, and getting caught up in a spirit of religion, which is just as bad and just as damaging as a lot of sinful things that we can get involved in. But he's, he's going on this with these, with these people of Galatia, and, he, and he's wondering, what in the world happened? You were on such a good track, you were on such a good path, and something somewhere along the line won your heart back over and drug you back uh, into the old way of life. And I, I, I've come to uncover some realities in Scripture and in life. And one of those things is that even though we are free from our old way of living, is that the problem is freedom doesn't always feel like freedom. The, the reality of it is, is that we get so secure in our slavery and, and in our bondage and captivity that when we become free, all of a sudden that freedom now feels like a cage. Because... The truth is, is there's a lot of things that happen within a, a confined, 
confinement and in captivity and in slavery that provide some level of comfort that make you happy where you're at. Uh, there's, a, there's a reason why when uh, God freed the Israelite people from Egypt that they were in the wilderness wandering to the promised land, complaining and whining and saying things like, at least we had food in Egypt. At least we knew where we stood in Egypt. At least we, they were in slavery. But in their eyes, it was better than the freedom because in the slavery there was some comfort afforded to them that wanted that made them want to go back to that 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 blows my mind it, we can even read the story ourselves in the book of exodus and 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 read that story and be like how could you ever want to go back to egypt don't you know the goodness of the freedom the promised land that is to come don't don't you understand that how how trapped you were in that way of life and the reality of it is is we are not that different there are things, that, habits and lifestyles that we have been trapped in for years and years and years that, that we are, are so accustomed to that we wouldn't know what to do with ourselves if we didn't have it anymore. This is why people struggle with addictions. It's because although people who are not addicted can see the, the harmful activities and the harmful things that happen through the addiction, the people on the inside rely on that for a sense of comfort and for a sense of peace in their life. No, nobody's going out and, and drinking themselves to oblivion because they, they just think it's a good old time. It's because there's something in their life that they want to escape from. Regardless of what they may tell you, there is something on the inside that they are trying to satisfy. And there are certain types of slavery that provide that need and make you feel good for a moment, but in reality is leading towards death and destruction and peril, and suffering. There's a re Nobody starts out doing heroin or, or, or meth or any, of, any drug or, or anything of the, any, any of those things just because they thought it was a good idea. They get trapped in that because it affords them something that makes them feel free for a moment. It makes them feel comforted for a moment. But in reality, it is leading them into more captivity and more slavery because those things that they are addicted to and, and trapped in get a hold of their life and they control their life. I, I've never met somebody who is addicted to something and is genuinely happy unless they're involved in what they're addicted to. People will say, I just need it because it helps me relax. Yeah, but it's destroying your liver, your kidneys. It's destroying you on the inside and you don't even realize it. It's destroying your lungs and all of these things. And, and we feel some kind of liberty in those things. And in reality, it has held us captive and it owns our life. And then when we step into freedom... And we see all the bountifulness and we see all of, all of the lack of those things. Because in freedom, you shouldn't need any of those things. We all of a sudden feel like we are in a prison cell. There's a reason why uh, there's this thing called being institutionalized. And uh, it happens to people who spend a long period of time in prison. They get out, they finish their sentence... And they cannot adjust to normal life. 
they, they don't know how to live in freedom because all they've ever known was the institution that they were locked away in for however many years. And there are plenty of instances where those people who have been freed will go and commit crimes to purposely get locked back up again because it is within the cell, within the captivity, that they feel security. It's, it's, it's crazy to think that people would ever go back to that lifestyle, but when you've never experienced freedom, and now all of a sudden you have freedom, you don't know what to do with yourself. Somebody who's just gotten out of prison, they've got to figure out how to work a job and make an income. And they've got to figure out uh, their own health care. They've got to figure out all of these things that they never had to do because somebody was telling them how to do it for so long. And, and, and they just said, listen, captivity is better than freedom because I don't know what I'm doing with myself. We do so many of the same things. We find security in our captivity. And, and let's be honest here, is that freedom does bring about certain types of challenges. Like I just said, they got to learn how to work a job. And they've never really, I mean, you might have a work detail or things like that. I've never been to prison, but I know some people who have and have worked in prisons, and they've told me some stories. And, and you got work details, you got things like that, but you're on a tight leash. You don't have decisions to make. They make decisions for you. And so now all of a sudden you have all this freedom, and you don't know what to do with yourself. And you're like, at least there, I knew where I stood. I knew what life was like. And and, in reality, God has called you to so much more. But the the challenge is it's easier to live in what you know than what is new. We do the same thing with religion. We're afraid of anything new within the church and with what God is doing. Because we're like, hold on a second, I I don't know how to navigate this. I am so glad I was not a lead pastor during the coronavirus stuff. I am. I, I was youth pastor. I was navigating some things right alongside. I'm like, I am really glad that that decision doesn't fall on me. Um, do we have church? Do we not have church? Do we just do online? Do we do parking lot services? And all these different things that were going on, I'm like, I am really glad I don't have to carry that weight. Because we're not good at navigating uncharted territories. That was a new challenge for us. I'm glad that's not the way of life anymore. That they've declared that all that stuff is over and it's safe to be back together again. Regardless of where you stand on all that stuff, that's neither here nor there. The point is, is it was a trial some time for people and a lot of uncertainty. And you take that and you put it into a life of freedom and a new life of freedom that you've never known before, it's the same kind of terror and fear that you face. And God's saying, don't go back into that because the freedom is greater than the captivity, but we find comfort in the captivity. So the trick then becomes, how do we start to make a transition out of captivity and into freedom. Well, Galatians 5.1 tells us, For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. One of the first things you have to do is 
Break all connections to what you used to know. Don't give yourself a way back. When, when you know that you could just go back to what was, and when things that are now new become difficult, your default is, to be, is going to be to go back to those things in the way life was. But if you don't have that option anymore, that's why people who are recovering from addictions and things, they, they will give advice and say, listen, you need to move to a whole other city where you don't know anybody. Because if you don't know anybody, then you don't know where to get your fix. People who get out of prison say, you need to go move somewhere else and get around some different people so you don't get pulled back into the same lifestyle you were in. Because if you have a way back in, when you can't figure out the new way, you're going to get right back with them because at least you know you had some security there. You have to break all those connections. If you don't know what a yoke is, it has nothing to do with eggs, which I had to learn at a young age because I'm like, what does yokes have to do with bondage and stuff when I was like five years old? It's like, what does an egg have to do with any of that? That's for an omelet. I thought it meant mixing eggs together, and you shouldn't mix eggs together. That's really what I thought. You can laugh at that this morning. I, hadn't, I didn't know any better until I finally asked one day. And what I found out is that a yoke is a device that they would use to connect two cattle, two oxen together, and they would use them to plow a field. But the problem is, is if one of those ox move faster than the other, or if the, the one ox all of a sudden gets injured or whatever, now you have a problem of where the plow is not going like it's supposed to. It could be going crooked. It could be going in a circle depending on the circumstance. And it messes the whole thing up. Messes the whole thing up because it's yoked to another ox or another thing that does not provide any value whatsoever, but instead drags it away. You could have an ox, and the reality of it is, is when we are yoked to things that bring slavery, those things will always be stronger than us, and they will always drag us, and we will never drag them. And there, there are things that we need to cut away from the yoke that we have been attached to. Some people need to throw away their computers. Some people need to change their phone numbers. Some people need to find a new place to spend your time so you're not around the people you used to spend time with. Some people need to find some new friends. Whatever you got to do to break the yoke, you need to break the yoke. Because as long as you have any attachment to those things... It's going to drag you right back into slavery. What you're yoked to determines the direction you're going in. So what should we be yoked to? The Bible says we should be yoked to the Spirit. This is going to be a little bit of a longer section of Scripture, and hopefully it is familiar to you. Galatians 5, 16 through 25 says this. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But... 
The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, and against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. That's a lot of Scripture right there, and I hope it would be familiar to you that at some point in your life you've heard something about the fruits of the Spirit. And, and that last verse, verse 25, says, If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. What he's talking about is our pace. In other words, being yoked to the Spirit. We got to walk with the Spirit. We got to be connected to the Spirit. We have to keep our pace with the Spirit as we go through this life. And that is how we live in freedom. If you are yoked to the flesh, if you are yoked to the world, you are going to produce the works of the flesh, which we just listed, and that is by no means an exhaustive list. There is plenty of other things that you could fill in the blank for, and there are subcategories under all of those categories that we're not going to get into. But the reality of it is, is he is making a point to the people that stop being connected to things of the flesh and things of the world but rather connect yourself to the Holy Spirit and keep in step with him. He, he talks about how the Spirit is against the flesh. There, there, you got to understand that there is going to be a fight and a battle in all of this. That there is going to be strife between the Spirit of God that lives inside of you and the flesh that you happen to live in as well. We are flesh and blood. There is a flesh nature that we have that is naturally against God's will and God's plan for life and leads us to rebel and leads us to sin against God. And we have to fight against that. And there's always going to be this battle. There will always be a battle. It's not uncommon to have this battle. So I, we got to understand something too with all of this. I've said this before in another message, and a few of them, I'm sure. But you got to understand that temptation itself is not sin. Temptation is what leads you to sin if you give in to temptation. But just because you feel an urge for something doesn't mean you sinned. That is your warning and your alarm that you need to uh, cut the yoke, and you need to make a change, and you need to run and get out of there. When you feel the temptation, you see the thing, we have this thing in human nature called fight or flight, and for whatever reason, when it comes to spiritual things, we choose fight more than we choose flight. It's, we will never win the fight against our flesh in our own strength. The Bible says, flee the very appearance of evil. When the appearance of evil shows up at your door, Put your running shoes on and run the other way. Don't stand there and say, well, I can do this. I can handle this. I can fight this temptation. It's not going to win. It's not going to beat me. Yes, it will. Sometimes the most spiritual thing you can do is just leave. I, I think of... Think of Joseph back in the Old Testament 
when Potiphar's wife tried to seduce him, he didn't stand there and say and try to fight it. He just ran. And you got to understand, I, I understand in that, that scripture, in that story, he still ended up with the short end of the stick when it came to what man saw. But what God saw was a man who was pure and righteous, and he honored him for that. There, there, there's, this, there's this thing called accountability, and I'm going to get off my notes here for just a little bit because I think it's important for believers to understand what accountability means. You see, we don't like accountability. We don't want somebody telling us we're wrong and we're heading in the wrong direction or we're doing the wrong thing. And most of the time, it's not because we don't like being told what to do or what we should do. It's because we're embarrassed about what we deal with. When, when you know it's wrong... You don't want to sit there and admit, listen, I, I struggle with this stuff. I can't talk about this. I can't deal with this. I can't let other people know that this is a problem for me. Because if I let people know it's a problem for me, they might judge me. You know, Joseph got judged wrongly in his situation when he fled because he dealt with a liar. But later on, the truth won. And sometimes you are going to face some wrongful judgment when you do the right thing. But the reality of it is, is the long-term outcome is so much greater. There's, there's nothing wrong with going to a fellow believer and saying, listen, I struggle with this. I need you to pray for me. You know, you know how accountability works? Accountability isn't, hey, I messed up. I need you to help. I just need to tell you I messed up. Accountability is, is hey, I feel really tempted right now. I need you to pray with me. I need you to talk me off a ledge. I need you to come get me. I need you to come pick me up from this place. I, I, I'm facing this. I have this in front of me, and I can't, I, I can't deal with this. I know that I'm weak in this area. Please come help me. That's accountability. If you wait till after the fact to confess it, the accountability does, does you no good. I've, I've, I've dealt with plenty of people, especially teenagers, who all have given up on confessing because they're like, well, accountability doesn't work because I still mess up. That's because you wait until after it happens to say something. True accountability is I'm heading down this path it's not the right path. I feel the conviction, and I need somebody who is spiritual to help me avoid continuing this path and turn around and go back the right way. And if you handle it that way, it is so much more effective. It is so much more fruitful 
to, to be heading towards the wrong direction and say, oh, this is not good. Call up your friend or whoever and say, listen, I'm feeling the temptation today. I'm, I'm feeling like I need to slap somebody. Uh, whatever your temptation may be, and I need you to come get me. I need you to come over here, and I need you to throw my computer away. I need you to destroy this. I need you to throw the cigarettes out for me. I need you to throw the alcohol out for me. I need you to throw the drugs out for me. I need Whatever you may need somebody to do for you, Call them and deal with it before it gets too far. Don't wait till after. Because if you wait till after, then the flesh already got the victory and all you're doing is confessing. Which, if we do mess up, we should confess. We should confess. Because it is through confession that you can begin healing and walking in forgiveness. And that's a whole other message for another time. But to get back on track here today, talking about if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. If you, uh, if you look also back in verse 16, uh, Paul also is saying, but I say walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Those two verses go hand in hand. And if you look at verse 16 and you look at the original Greek language, I, I'm not going to even try to pronounce the words, but I can tell you what it means. What, it, what the word means is it's saying, it, it's a word that's used to describe influencing or, or pushing or driving uh, winds. And so it Basically, what Paul is describing to them is living under the influential push of the Holy Spirit. It says, if you live by the Spirit, walk by the Spirit. In other words, walk where he pushes you. Walk where he leads you. Walk in the direction that he takes you in. You will not satisfy the desires of the flesh because you won't be heading in that direction. When we allow the Holy Spirit to influence, influence us, he will never lead us to a path of sin. Never. But the problem is, is we allow too much influence from our flesh. What I've learned is that as, as, as you go through this, where you reap or where you sow is where you will reap. Galatians 6, 7 and 9, 7 through 9 says this, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption, but the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. If we give any ground to our flesh, if we allow things of this world to sow into our flesh, don't be surprised when the flesh grows in strength. Whatever you feed will grow. Period. And I've met people who've had to stop watching TV shows. They've had to stop reading books and th different things because they realized finally that when I read that, when I watch this, when I listen to that, when I get around this, when I s even smell that for people who have had some addictions in their life, that they, it stirs something up in their flesh that produces corruption. If you have an alcohol problem, you probably shouldn't go to places with active bar scenes. 
if you have a problem with drugs, you probably should stay away from areas where people do drugs. If you have a gluttony problem, you should probably stay away from the buffet. We don't, I really just need to do a message on gluttony sometime, I think, because I, I need to preach that one to myself. We have to understand that when we get around certain things and our flesh rises up, we really shouldn't be surprised. People with cussing problems put themselves in situations where everybody's cussing all the time. Listening to music, watching shows, people with sexual addiction issues and things like that are watching things and looking at things that they should not be looking at and listening to. And it is amazing how small these little triggers are for the flesh. There's a reason why Jesus went to the severity of telling people, if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. If your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. Because it's better to enter the kingdom of God without an eye and without a limb than it is to burn forever in eternal punishment because of your sin. It's a little bit of a paraphrase. Sometimes you have to be drastic. Some people will say, well, I don't think I can throw my TV away. That seems a little harsh. Throw it away. Go read your Bible. It'll be so much more fruitful for you. When we begin to sow to the Spirit, we reap from the Spirit. And I like in verse 9 when it says, And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. Typically, we use that scripture to talk about the work of ministry, working for the kingdom of God. Uh, that It's very popular, especially amongst preachers. You know, there's pastors who struggle in their churches, and they will quote this scripture and say, I'm hanging on to that. What, what Paul's really talking about, I believe, is that he's saying when, when you keep plowing the field and sowing the seed, that battle that you are fighting in your soul against sin so that you can be free will be won. The problem is, is we, we sow for a little bit, things are doing good, we think the crop is growing, the fruit of the Spirit are being produced, and now all of a sudden we think it can just go on autopilot. And then we wonder why we messed up again. Why we went back into the way we used to know. And this is true not just for sin, but for spirits of religion and, and even complacency and things. You, you become complacent because you stop moving. And if you stop moving forward, your default is to go to what you know and what you've always known. And the problem is, is we don't sow to the Spirit as often or at the level of quality that we should. There, there's, I heard somebody talking about this the other day. And I know we may not have, as, have everybody in here that's into, the, into smartphones and you, you sit and scroll very often, but somebody said it like this one time. They said, you know, your phone will tell you exactly how much time you have every day to give to God. It will. It'll, it'll show you exactly how much time you have every day to give to God that you didn't. If you, if you have an iPhone, I don't know about other phones, but if you have an iPhone every week, if you have it set up to do so, it'll send you a screen time notification as to how many hours per day that you spend looking at your phone. 
you would be amazed at some of the screen time reports people get. The average was something like six hours a day. And this wasn't even talking like productive, like you're working, so you have to answer emails and you got to do it on your phone type of stuff. This was just mindless social media consumption, YouTube, all that stuff. That, that was like an average. That wasn't like the high end. It is crazy how much time. And you know, we say, well, I don't use a smartphone, but do you watch TV? What, what would the TV say if you got a screen time report with that? What would your computer say? What would the newspaper say? Well, I don't do any of that. All I do is read books. What books are you reading, first of all? Are they sowing to the flesh or are they sowing to the spirit? Listen, if you're reading like Charles Spurgeon's sermons and all that stuff, great, good for you. But I haven't met very many people that that's all they read. That's not all I read. I read a lot and that's not all I read. I like to read classic stories, mostly C.S. Lewis stuff. I, but I don't sit and do nothing but read the Bible all day long. So we're all, in some way, shape, or form, missing out on some time. The reality is, is we all, none of us sow to the Spirit as much as we could. If I were to put a clock on how much time you spent gossiping versus praying, what would that look like? For some people, we put those things in the same category. We don't gossip in church. We just say, "Did you? we need to pray for so-and-so because they're doing this, this, and this. We cover it. If I put a clock, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to really shift it up here. On how much time you spent worrying versus praying, what would that look like? I'm guilty of that one too. I like to think I've gotten better at that. And I, 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 can, I can honestly say that there are times where I have been better at that with certain situations. But there are other situations that I don't do so good at that. And that, that's just me being honest with you today. And then we don't sow to the Spirit in all of these things. And then we wonder why we never see the good things grow. And then we give up. But the problem is, if we would have just held on a little bit longer of doing the good thing of sowing to the Spirit, the Bible says we would have reaped from that. We would have reaped good from that. I know the battle is hard. And I know we, we, you're going to fight the old flesh and slavery ways over and over again. You will. That temptation, it's hard. It's easier to get you out of Egypt than it is to get the Egypt out of you. Especially when you've lived there for so long. That's the problem Moses dealt with with those people back in Exodus. It was real easy to get the people out of Egypt. And when you, 
and when I say it was easy, I'm comparing to getting the Egypt out of them because it wasn't easy to get them out of Egypt. There was ten whole plagues that were sent. There was a lot that was done and a lot happened. God had to split an entire sea for the people to walk through. It wasn't easy to get the people out of Egypt, but it was a lot easier than getting the Egypt out of the people. That's the reality of the situation. But the promise that we have is in verse 9, and again, I'll say it. And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. Will you bow your heads and close your eyes with me today?